in a world where every diet you know is wrong. Well, not every diet. I mean... Yes, but almost every doesn't sound as good. Yeah, but... Shut up. One man stands alone. Well, not completely. I mean... It's time for Adam Martin, the No Breakfast Guy. And let's talk fast. Fasting, fitness, and fat loss. What's going on, guys, and welcome to this brand new episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, more commonly known as the No Breakfast Guy, and welcome to this week. I hope you're all doing fantastic. I certainly am. It's a Monday afternoon here at the moment, and it is freezing cold, but I'm inside and I'm feeling good. But um, I can't really complain too much because Melbourne has had some spectacular weather of late, and uh, considering we're deep into May and we were still getting kind of 20-degree type weather and sunshine, I'll take that every day of the week. But it is making me feel a little bit sad that this time two years ago, I was heading off uh, on my family trip of a lifetime where we went and spent a year living in France and so it's getting myself and my wife very nostalgic and wanting to uh, potentially go and do it all again but um, many of you will know this because you've listened and kind of seen over on my Instagram page but we are currently 12 weeks pregnant as you hear this on the 27th of May 2019 so we're super excited about that and obviously Amy has you know, the next uh, six to seven months ahead of her um, getting ready to give birth again to our new child. And so we're very excited about that. Due date now is expected to be around about the 8th of December. But uh, for anyone who has had kids, you'll know that bubs come when they want to come. So we'll know that it's sometime around December. So we're super excited, as I said, and um, just getting geared up all for that. But uh, let's dive into t- this week's podcast. I put a questionnaire out on my Instagram page the other day. Again, guys, if you're not following me there, it's at the no breakfast guy with underscores between everything. And I put a question out saying, look, guys, I'm doing a Q&A today on my podcast. Ask me any questions you want. Be that personal, be that around fat loss, be that around injuries, be that around anything at all, and I'll happily answer anything that you have. Questions have come in. I've got nine questions to go through today. Uh, there was one personal one, which um, I think might surprise you with the uh, answer I have, and I look forward to uh, giving you a, an entertaining story on that, and I hope I don't offend too many people with my answer to that question, and then most of the rest of them revolve around kind of fat loss and certain things that people are trying and whatnot and kind of what can I do. There's a running question in there. Uh, people are asking me about my uh, daily intake of calories uh, and some other kind of questions in and around that. But also uh, one question talking back to last week's podcast where we had a chat with Max, a client of mine who has had a phenomenal start to his weight loss journey. So if you haven't seen that one or heard on that one yet, guys, I really highly suggest you jump back to last week's podcast and um, go and have a listen to Max and I have a chat about his first 12 weeks on his fat loss journey where he's currently already lost 25 kilos but as we do this he's actually 30 kilos down now so he's continuing to stride forward which is fantastic to see. But uh, let's get straight into it guys and before I do I really want to ask you a big favor hit pause on this podcast scroll down to the bottom if you're listening to it on iTunes 
hit that write a review button. I'd love for you to just write me a quick little review if uh, you found this podcast or any other podcast you've listened to mine of value. Hit that five-star rating. It really helps me kind of promote this podcast and get it out to more and more people. So if you've done that, thank you very much. If you haven't done that, you're breaking my heart. Just hit that pause button. Go and do it. It's going to take 30 seconds. I'd really appreciate it. But let's get straight into it. Let's get into question number one. And it's a kind of multi-stage question. So let's just kind of go through that. First question, what do you recommend as far as strength training goes for someone who does not want to gain more muscle but just wants to be toned? I don't understand how lifting as much as I can for as long as I can is going to do that for me. I've been lifting on and off for six months and have lost weight but haven't noticed anything in regards to toning or muscle-wise. Now, I'm going to first come up and say this was a female, so let's kind of keep it in relation to females because most men that come across my coaching program or asking me um, questions, it's all about how can I gain more lean muscle. So this is usually around the kind of fear that females are going to gain muscle, um, and most of the time, and I'm doing big in quotes here, want to get toned. Now, I want to put something on that kind of term in that toned is not a terminology that you should be using. It's not a terminology at all. Um, it actually in relates to kind of the uh, kind of level of contraction around a muscle. And if you look at someone who has cerebral palsy, they have huge tonality in their muscles because it's in spasticity and it's always on and always um, being engaged. You don't want toned muscles. What you normally refer to when you're saying toned is you want to be more lean, lose body fat, and have more definition, and have the appearance of more muscle showing through, but being more lean and athletic. So instead of saying toned, can we all start saying defined? I would like to look more defined, or have more muscle definition, or be more lean, or be more athletic. These are the kind of words we start using. It just gripes me up the wall that... People in my industry have caused this. This is not you guys in the general public. It's people in my industry that continue to say, hey guys, look more toned. You can get toned and use this word. And then you guys hear this thinking that this is the word that you should be using. It gripes me up the wall when especially when I hear professionals, personal trainers and other people um, who are of influence and kind of that you might be listening to continue to use this word. So I've gone on my rant about toned, but let's just jump back to that and kind of dive into kind of a little bit more about kind of strength training and how you can go about not gaining muscle. And I'll kind of talk why that is just not something you should be aiming for, but how you can have that more athletic look and how you can have a more defined look by using strength training in your um, in your training. So first and foremost, I've got to say, this is not a sexist comment, but females, you are just genetically not as superior when it comes to the ability to gain muscle mass or be able to build muscle mass as men are. Men have a wonderful hormone called testosterone and we have it in abundance. Many people would say we have too much of it and it's what causes so much of us um, angst between males and our kind of beating of the chest type gorilla type uh, um, actions we have around females, but at the end of the day, it's that testosterone in a male's body which gives us the predisposition to be able to build lean muscle. Now, and females just don't have that kind of level, and so your fear around building muscle just isn't there. And so when someone says to me, Adam, I want to, you know, I want to get strength training or I want to kind of lose weight, but I just don't want to put on any muscle, I'm here to lay your fears to rest. If you are female, you are going to have an extreme difficulty putting on lean muscle mass. So stop fearing that for first and foremost. 
But if you were to be able to gain lean muscle mass, you are going to have to be training five, six days a week in the gym. Have your nutrition absolutely on point. Getting in your protein at an absolute premium level. And even with that, you're going to probably have to have some sort of ergogenic aid to kind of really see some substantial uh, muscle building. Now, you can absolutely build some lean muscle. It's going to take months, if not years, worth of consistent muscle, um, I should say, strength training. So please, don't fear this idea around going into the gym and all of a sudden you're just going to burst out with kind of muscles coming out all over the place. It's just not possible for the female uh, body to do. Now, with that all said... If you're someone who is looking to get more, I say, toned or you're trying to get more lean, athletic, and have that kind of athletic and lean appearance, you are going to want to be able to try and maintain as much muscle as you can. So when you're in a calorie deficit and floating through deficits and surpluses over probably close to, I'd say, 6 to a 12-month process at a bare minimum, then you are going to want to get into the gym and you are going to want to aim for performance. Stop worrying about kind of this, that, or the other with regards to your training. You should always gear yourself around to trying to improve your performance. Now, if your performance is strength or amount of reps or the amount of weight you use or the decreasing the amount of time that you do between sets, whatever your kind of modality is, and if you want me to go into this more detail, I'm more than happy to talk about this on a separate podcast. I am looking at getting one of my colleagues uh, at my office onto a podcast to speak specifically on female strength training and how we can maximize it for you girls and how you can kind of really get a program that's going to be targeted to help you kind of get the best results you can out of the gym. But to kind of just go into it really softly now is that your idea in the back of your head when you're going into the gym, and this is for men or female, but for you females especially listening in today, your absolute Uh, focus should always be around getting stronger. The stronger you are, the more muscle you require to be as strong as you are. And let me kind of break that down a little bit more in that think about someone, male or female, who who is 80 kilos and is 10% body fat. Okay, If that person was still at 10% body fat but had 90 kilos of weight, they obviously will have more lean muscle mass. Their ability to then lift more is going to be much more for them. So I hope that kind of makes sense in that, yes, there are neural adaptations. Our body will have adaptations that will allow us to lift more, and that kind of goes in regards to the firing of muscles from a nervous system kind of point of view. But at the core fundamentals, if someone has more lean muscle mass, their potential to be able to lift more is more. That just makes more sense. And that's kind of why boxers fight in their particular kind of weight range. It's stupid to think that some guy who weighs 60 kilos can go and fight against a guy who weighs 100 kilos. The guy at 100 kilos, if their skill level is about the same, that guy at 100 kilos can hit harder. He can be hit harder. And he, of course, he's got a massive advantage. The same thing goes for you girls. In the gym, you should be aiming to get stronger. This will, at least, at the very least, you've got to still have your nutrition on point, so let's not get away from that fact. But let's just say your nutrition is on point. When heading into the gym, if your focus is around getting stronger, that means each week, if you're tracking your program itself, that if last week you did three sets of 10 of a, let's say, a bench press, it might be a dumbbell bench press, you might be lifting eight kilos on those three sets of 10, This week, you might try nine kilos for three sets of 10. So you've upped your weight. This is gonna ask more of your muscle. Your muscle has to respond. 
it will either grow or it will kind of get um, more, as I said, the nervous system will have a, a, a greater effect on actually being able to initiate that uh, muscle. But in the kind of bare bones of it, your, bo- your body doesn't like feeling inadequate. It doesn't like kind of not being able to do something. And so if you ask it to do more, it will then build and lay the foundations to allow you to then do that weight. In a couple of weeks' time, that nine kilos might start to feel easy. You then put it to 10 kilos. Or, as I said, a couple other ways to kind of progress this. You might be staying at the same weight, but you might do more reps. You might do 12, 13, 14, 15. This, let me kind of just put a caveat in here. When I see programs written that have, it's usually for female programs, and you see, you know, rep ranges of kind of, 15 to 20 to 25 and girls are using you know really light weights if you've had a coach that's given you a program that has huge rep ranges and using light weights and they said oh this is a kind of program that's really going to help you get toned they're full of shit they have no idea what they're talking about you should be trying you cannot get stronger i say that if you're a very new beginner then you might see some benefits moving forward from a high rep range like that but there's just absolutely no point to it. And especially if you become more experienced in the gym, you should be working in a range of anywhere between, I would say personally, around eight to 12. As soon as you can get 12 reps out on all of your sets for a particular weight, time to go up on that weight. That weight might then see you only be able to get eight or nine reps out. Great, start progressing. The next week you might get 10. The next week you might get 11. The next week you might get 12. A couple of weeks you sit at 12. Great, you now feel comfortable. We're up the weight again. The reps go back down and just kind of float between these eight and 12 reps as you get stronger, uh, sorry, as you get heavier with your weights. As I said, you can decrease the time that you have as your rest period. This is another great way of uh, helping you progress just because you're not allowing yourself to recover as much, it's asking more of your body. This will also have a good positive response. And as I said, you can um, use reps as your way of kind of progressing as well. And as I've just said, you'll kind of progress and progress with more and more reps until you get it to a point. 12, I would say at a maximum, if you want to go to 15, you can, but then obviously lifting the weights from there. So that's what you should be aiming to do in the gym. And I see far too many people going in and doing the exact same program week after week after week. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with doing the same program, but if you're sticking to the same weights and rep ranges and everything else about it is exactly the same, you're not gonna make any progression. You're not gonna kind of see any strength gains in the long term. You'll get to a certain rooftop and that's where you'll sit. So make sure you're always tracking, just like I say with your nutrition, if you're tra- tracking your nutrition, you can obviously see how many calories was I here? What am I doing? How can I manipulate? How can I move forward? How can I, I'm not seeing the results. Do I need to drop my calories? Do I need to lift my calories or whatever it might be? Same goes for the gym. If you're in the gym, you should be tracking not only the exercises you're doing, but the rep ranges you're doing, the rep, uh, sorry, the rests you're using and the weights that you're using. And so you can then week by week make those progressions. And a beginner in the gym, and I would call a beginner anywhere from someone who's day one, probably up to two years in the gym still. If you think about it, most people are probably only averaging two to three times a week in the gym. If you're more than that, great. But let's just kind of put averages or averages. Most people are probably going two to three times in the gym. That's 100 to 120 times in a year. I would say if you're only doing something 120 times, you're still pretty much a beginner. And so if you're up to kind of two years, somewhere in that kind of zero day one to two years, I would still call yourself a beginner. And so getting in there more often and kind of trying to push yourself more um, each week, that these beginner kind of people that fit in with this can absolutely kind of see progressions week to week. Now, it might not be on the exact same exercise in that your bench press might be seven kilos this week, 
not eight kilos the next week, nine kilos next week. I'm not saying that um, you might see progressions on that exact same exercise each week, but there's something in your program that you should be able to progress each and every week. In some weeks, there might be multiple things. It might be your bench press and your shoulder press that go up. The next week, it might be your deadlift and your squats that go up. There will be fluctuations that your body responds to, and and but your core, as I said, keep going back to your core principle should always be in the back of your head trying to get as strong as you can. And it kind of goes back to the middle part of this question was, I don't understand how lifting as much as I can for as long as I can is going to help me do that. You absolutely should not be trying to aim to as lift as much as you can for as long as you can. Work in that rep range. Three sets to four sets of reps of eight to 12 in a weight that you can do you know, to complete that entire circuit of that particular exercise, whatever it might be. And I would say you usually have a rest period of 60 seconds to 90 seconds on that. If you want to go up to two minutes, you can. Um, if you're going to have two minutes, I personally would probably throw in an accessory exercise in there. And what I mean by that is you might be doing a bench press and then you might do an accessory exercise as a front uh, front raise or a side raise with your shoulders. And so it's giving your chest a bit of a rest period, but you're getting something else in. So you're just not sitting around doing nothing for two minutes. Um, for me personally, I don't have that kind of time or kind of uh, luxury to be able to sit there. If you have, and you don't mind sitting there and kind of just listening to a podcast or enjoying your music, then absolutely go for it. But for me, and I think most of us, we're trying to be as efficient as we can with our time. And so using a kind of accessory exercise to pair up with your big main exercises that you've got, uh, I think that's exactly the way that you should be using your time. And as I said, so you're not trying to lift as much as you can and for as long as you can, work in those rep ranges, progress each week and see how you go from there. And so where it says the final part of that question, I've been lifting on and off for six months and have, and have and I have lost weight but haven't noticed anything with regards to the tone, tone and kind of muscle-wise, that's going to come down 100% to your nutrition. So I would say for this person here, let's ask this question, while you may have lost weight, two things, you're probably being a little bit impatient, so just be more patient, keep getting into the gym, keep lifting weights, don't be on and off. This is a thing that's kind of every single week. You should be three to four times, if not more, in the gym every single week if this is your goal. If your goal is to kind of just maintain where you are, you can have those on and off kind of periods of time. But if you're trying to make that progression, I'm sorry, you have to suck it up. You have to be in there every single week, putting in the work every single week. Same with your nutrition. If you're kind of happy with your arm, you're kind of more of a maintenance phase or you're kind of having a rest from dieting at the moment, then sure, you can be a bit more on and off, enjoy the weekends out and kind of have some time at festivals or uh, you know birthday parties and really kind of let your hair down and kind of just maintain where you are. But if you're trying to aim for a goal, you have to be more disciplined. You have to say no sometimes. And I'm sorry, you, like you just have to. Like There's no way around that if you want to kind of achieve the goal. So if you kind of, to go again, back to that last part, if you're not noticing the kind of changes in your muscles, you're not in the gym enough. Your nutrition's probably not on point. You're probably not getting enough protein in. That protein for male or female should probably be somewhere around that 1 to 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. And if you're trying to gain weight, you probably, oh, sorry, gain lean muscle, you should be at least a minimum of two grams per kilogram of body weight uh, with regards to your protein. So I would say your, uh, your protein's probably not high enough, you're not training enough, uh, and your nutrition's not consistent enough, along with your training is not consistent enough if you're not seeing kind of any changes in your musculature and how you're kind of appearing with regards to your body uh, and you're kind of progressing, you're looking for your transformation in your body. So just... 
I would say to this person again, just be consistent, keep on it. If you're still losing weight, great, but get into the gym more, make sure your protein is high, and just keep pushing through and make sure you're making those progressions in the gym. And I reckon that in another three to six months time that you will certainly be seeing some major results and certainly over 12 months time, you'll see um, huge life-changing results. So just stick with it, be patient and you'll get there. Wow, that was a really long uh, answer to a question we're kind of 20 minutes in. So let's keep moving on. I really hope that was informative, guys. And this is something that really, like, I'm really passionate about. I love strength training. I'm trying to get as many people as I possibly can. My whole No Breakfast Club where I'm giving out strength programs every single day. If that's something that you're interested in, it's a free program. All you got to do is email me at info at thenobreakfastguy.com. Put in the subject line, No Breakfast Club, and you'll be added straight away. A brand new program for the gym or at home, running pro. I do a whole heap of different ranges of programs. Get sent to your email every single day of the working week. So if that's something you're interested in, you can. I really have a big passion for getting people in the gym because the lifelong benefits of it uh, go well beyond helping your body uh, regards to muscle and kind of strength and looking good in a bikini or kind of looking good naked right now. The benefits of being strong now and throughout your life go so far beyond, uh, as I said, just looking good in a photo or kind of looking good and feeling good in a bikini. So just get training, guys. Get strong, as strong as you possibly can. It will benefit you for years to come. All right, number two. My girlfriend thinks waist trainers work. Can you explain to her why they don't? I remember seeing this one come through, and I've already answered these questions to those people directly. And you know, the waist trainers of the world, guys—they—they are an invention by Susie from Accounting, and these things just bug me to absolute no end. And you see the ads—you know, someone putting it on, and they measure themselves uh, with a tape measure before they put it on. They put this thing on for whether it's a minute, two minutes, ten minutes, whatever it's kind of doing it pulses away and does its thing they then take it off there's all this sweat around that area they remeasure their waist and oh it's three centimeters down this waist trainer melts fat from the midsection and it's the key to losing weight one these things give me nothing but grief and i hate to see these things because they prey on people's insecurities and kind of lack of knowledge around physiology and just want you to kind of buy their garbage one these products are garbage please if you have one throw it out two don't buy it in the first place. Don't waste your money. They do not work. And let me kind of explain on kind of, well, how do you see these drops in centimeters and what's happening when people are doing it? So one, fundamentals, guys. You know fat loss occurs because of calorie deficit consistently over a long period of time. A belt has nothing to do with what you're eating. So just right there and then, the answer to the question, that's why they don't work because they have nothing to do with it going into your, um, into your body and what you're eating. But let's just kind of go on to, well, let's explain kind of what's going on when you do see these centimeters drop. And no, there's no trickery to it. These people are certainly seeing drops around this, uh, their waist at that time. And most of these belts will have you put on a gel that will kind of create your body to want to sweat more around that area. And that's why when you see these people take these belts off, whether they then train in them in the gym or whether they just kind of pulse away and do their thing on them now, they cause a lot of sweating and that sweat kind of comes out of that area. You get very dehydrated in that area and so you're going to see a drop in centimeters because that area just becomes very dehydrated. And you kind of look at um, bodybuilders 
who go through a real dehydrating process just before their, you know, the days leading up before going on stage to just try and get rid of all of that water that's sitting underneath the very, you know, top layer of our skin and subcutaneous type layer, just really, really, I should say more superficial layer, not subcutaneous, very superficial layer just underneath the skin. We've got a lot of water that's sitting on there. And if I had you just stop drinking water, please don't stop drinking water. But if I stopped you just drinking water for a couple of days and really massively dehydrated you, you would lose a lot of weight. And this is what happens on keto. When people go off carbs, water gets purged from the body and they might lose five or six kilos in the first week and go, oh my God, keto's the you know the god of weight loss. No, all you've done is just lost a lot of water weight. And that's what these belts are doing as well. They're drawing out water from your system through its sweat. You will then obviously see decreases in centimeters around your waist where you've put these waist trainers on but within an hour maybe a couple hours it might be a day whatever it might be when you go back to drinking your fluids that water is going to go back into that area and those waist measurements go back to exactly what they were before so that's how these things work that's how they kind of advertise them on the tv and on you might have seen them on facebook or um, instagram or your you know, I hope it's not your favorite influencer because if you're going to these people that are selling this shit um, and listening to them, then I'm sorry, I can't help you because these people are just, they're crooks. They should be they should be put in jail for it. But um, yeah, don't believe them. They're absolutely full of garbage. It's just a load of water coming out of the system that's helping these down. And if you've ever seen a coach or you've had a coach that kind of uses them, and I have people that I, I know and they advertise these kind of waist trainers and it just, it gripes me up the wall, and I'm someone who hates conflict, so I don't kind of call call people I know out on it. And um, but I do know people who have them in the industry. But anyway, um, that all said, they're garbage. Don't go near them. They don't work. They do nothing. They dehydrate your body, and that's how you kind of see the results in that very short time. And question number three: uh, I currently exercise seven days a week. Is that okay, or should I only be doing five? I answer this question every single time in the exact same way, whether it's coming from how many times should I uh, work out a week? Or in this way, this is how many times I do. Is that good? Is that okay? Is that you should do the amount of exercise that you can sustain at that particular point in your life and it kind of is in relation to your goals as well. Let me explain a bit further. There's never going to be a time in your life that's stagnant. There's like, I'm coming up to having my second child. I undoubtedly am going to be a busier person because of that in my personal life. And so something is going to have to give, whether that's work, whether that's friendships, whether that's my training, whatever it might be. You can't always be 100% on all of them. And so that's going to fluctuate through life. Now, it's easy for me to sit here and say that exercise in your health should always be the number one priority. The reality is it's not though. And so there's going to be times, and I hope they're only short periods of time, there's going to be times though in your life where exercise and physical health and kind of really paying attention to your food and exercise and things like that, it's going to come off the top number one uh, you know, priority of what you're trying to do. And so if at this point in time, you're able to measure, uh, you're able to attend to seven days worth of training, now whether that's seven days in the gym, you combine that with a couple of days in the gym, a day running, a day in a pump class, a day in a spin class, or a, a heap of different you know, kind of variations or whatever that might be with some yoga and Pilates and meditation, whatever that might be. If you can do seven days a week, great. Keep doing it. There's absolutely nothing wrong. I personally don't think, and I think too many people get scared around this idea, oh, no, we need to have rest periods. 
Look, if you're a professional athlete, absolutely you go through periods where you have rest periods. But for most of us, we're not training to an intensity level that is going to warrant or need having any kind of rest period. So you can absolutely train seven days a week. Personally, at the moment, I'm on a six-day routine where I'm running three to four times a week, and I'm uh, in the gym two times a week, definitely, at the moment, because my goals right now are for July 7. I've got a half marathon on that I'm trying to break my elusive 100-minute barrier, so my focus is really heavy on my exercise at the moment to the detriment of my family life and my personal life. And um, I wouldn't say work is suffering at all, but I certainly aren't spending as, as much time with my family as I would like to. I certainly don't spend any time with my friends, which really kind of kills me. But I know that in July 7, hopefully, I can get that personal best time that I'm looking for and get a sub 100-minute half marathon that I can then reduce my training a little bit, have a little bit more time to kind of have some flexibility on the weekends that I can go and catch up with some friends or spend more time with my girls in the morning rather than going for such a long um, run and then being exhausted all Sunday because I've had such a long, hard run. So it goes through ebbs and flows, guys. So if you can do seven, do seven. If you can only do four, do four. Whatever it might be, but health should certainly never drop out of kind of your top one, two or three kind of priorities. So you should always be having some aspect of uh, health and exercise and kind of making sure you're paying attention to that at somewhere in your kind of life. But I understand that it's not always going to be your number one. So absolutely, um, seven days is fine, five days is fine. I hope I've answered that question. So this is that personal one that I said uh, coming on, guys, and um, I don't know why this person asked it, but um, I'm happy to answer it, and I'm, I've always said I'm an open book, so if you ever want to ask me a question, I'm going to be completely open and honest to you. I've got nothing to hide, and um, I certainly regret nothing in my life. Um, have you ever taken acid or mushrooms? Now, I'm someone who is very anti-drugs. Uh, I've certainly never taken any kind of manufactured drugs, we're talking heroin, we're talking um, speed, methamphetamine, any of those kind of lab-based type ones. Um, I can say I've never taken acid, but I have had an episode on mushrooms, and I have had a couple of joints throughout my life. Every single time I've had those joints, I've turned green and vomited my guts up, and um, there's some really funny stories to there, and I don't know if anyone who has ever been there with me on those occasions who's listening to that, because I don't know if any of my friends actually listen to my podcast. Um, they hear me talk about my, kind of my life too much, so they probably don't want to kind of then go and listen to me on a podcast as well, but um, yes, I had a trip to Thailand with two other mates of mine in 2008, and um, if you go back far enough through my photos and things like that, you'll be able to find out who they were. But just, I won't um, call their names out just in case they don't want me to talk about this particular story in relation to them as well. But we went to Thailand on a boys' trip in 2008 and uh, on PP Island. Yeah, I think it's PP Island. Uh, is it PP? No, it wasn't. We were at a full moon party. Uh, Kopang Yang. That's right, Kopang Yang. Full moon party um, in Thailand, which every young guy, a girl, kind of heading to Thailand, um, you, you, you've got to experience a full moon party. I think it's it was a, a night to remember. It was absolutely ridiculous, and uh, I've got some great memories of that night. But there's a there's a mountain top, a kind of mountain side that uh, is known as Mushroom Mountain, and you can go up there. 
they churn up mushrooms into a, like a, a milkshake kind of thing, uh, and then you drink away at that and enjoy the night. And we had actually met up with a couple of people I went to university with um, over there by absolute chance. We didn't uh, know they were there. And the night before, they had um, had uh, a night on um, some shrooms, and they were kind of explaining it. And I'm, as I said, I'm a very, very anti-drug person. At this point, I think I'd had you know a puff on a couple of joints, and that was that. That was it. And I, you know, that's as far as I ever wanted to kind of really take it. But these guys were kind of rec- recollecting what they had done the night before and kind of the experiences they had. And one guy was saying that the the George Franklin or something on the note that he had uh, there that he was trying to pay for things was talking to him and he was having this massive trip and he was laughing and it was all funny. And, you know, my mates and I were kind of sitting there like, oh, do we? I don't know. You know, you know we're in Thailand. You hear about these horror stories of people getting caught with drugs and things like this. But, you know, this seems to be like a place where everyone goes and does it. So it seems relatively safe and we're around, you know, good people. We're doing it in a, you know, in a kind of um, enjoyable kind of place. And just as a side note, I don't think I've ever told this to my parents. And again, I don't think my parents listen to this podcast. In fact, I know they don't. So they probably won't find this out. But if you do find this out, I'm sorry, mum and dad. But, um, so in the end, anyway, long story short, we decide, yeah, we're going to do this. So we head up the mountain, we grab our shake, and um, the two of us, uh, so there was four of us in the end there. One of the boys didn't do it because um, he, he was just he was just against it. He didn't want to do it at all, but he was there to kind of support us if we needed any help for the night. So it's probably good that one of us was staying um, sane and sober for the night. But um, anyway, so the, uh, this other bloke that we met up with was actually a cousin of one of the guys I was there with. Uh, so the three of us, Went up there, had our shakes, kind of thought, well, we'll come down off the mountain because I was scared um, out of my brain that, you know, I'd kind of think I could fly or something and try and jump off this mountain. So I thought, I want to go down, be on the beach, just enjoy a calming night on the beach and just see kind of what happens. And about, I don't know, 30 minutes uh, after this, I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't feel anything, you know, I'm not meant to feel something by now. And my stupid brain works in a way of kind of, you know, if I... If, if it doesn't work, I want to get some reaction because you know I've paid for this, so I'm going to go get another one. And I went to the other one of the other mates who um, had uh, just had his first shake as well, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't feel it. Yeah, let's go." So stupidly went up, and we now know that we should have waited longer for kind of effects to come in, but we're like, "No, nah, let's go up and let's get another one." So run up and grabbed another one, and come back down, and it's now started to come in. And then what the night was, uh, me, I just basically could not stop laughing at this particular mate of mine. Nothing else for that night really made me laugh, but this particular mate of mine, anything he said, anything he did, anything he looked at me or whatever it might have been, I just was in fits of absolute laughter, tears of laughter. The next day, I remember waking up and my abs were just so sore from laughing uh, all night. And his particular kind of journey that he went on this night he was convinced he was seeing chickens running around the kind of beachfront that we're on and so if you can imagine him just speaking made me laugh when i was then watching him thinking he could see chickens all over the place it just sent me into a into a stupor of i don't even know if that's a word i'm trying to look for but a stupor of laughter that i i've never had ever since and um it was an enjoyable trip. It was a great night out. I'm not here advocating you should do these kinds of things. Um, 
But I had a fantastic night. It was something I'll never forget, and I shared with you know some really close mate, mates of mine. And um, you know, when we do get together, we certainly reminisce over uh, our time that we had in Thailand. We had a couple of weeks in Thailand, but this particular night at the full moon party, it was a fantastic uh, evening. We had a lot of fun, um, and as I said, for me, uh, that was my kind of one and only journey into something more than just kind of having some marijuana out of a joint. And um, that's been my last ever thing. I never did it again. I've never done anything since. I'm just anti drugs um, as a totality anyway. But that's just me. So that's a little uh, venture into my world of taking um, some mushrooms. Uh, Let's move on. Number five. uh, Question is, my running coach says you recover better by eating straight after you run. Yes or no? Now, timing of nutrition and when you should get protein in after a workout and things like that, most of it is governed by the fact that Companies are trying to sell you a product, be that a protein supplement, be that a pill supplement or some sort of post-recovery supplement or whatever it might be. So it's in their best interest to have you drink more of them, eat more of them or whatever it might be. For 99% of the population, nutrient timing will make very, very, very little difference. And so for the absolute uber elite, and I've worked with Olympic athletes and I currently am working with a high-level athlete as well, Absolutely, the time of your nutrition will make you know that one percent difference. They're no different. They're not like they're going to get a massive difference just because they're elite. But those one percent differences to the absolute elite of the world could mean the difference between a gold medal and a silver medal. And so for them, it matters. For you, I, and ninety nine percent of the population, the fact that you might get point zero one percent of a benefit by making sure you get in some nutrition straight after this or getting in the right nutrition straight after a workout or a run, it the amount of effort and kind of energy it takes to have to think about that and making sure you're getting in the right kind of quantities and this, that, or the other, it's not worth the effort. And I always look at kind of effort versus reward. If it's taking much of my mental capabilities and physical capabilities and kind of it's making me go out of my way to make something happen and all I'm getting is a 1% return on that, I don't see that as a good investment in my time. Your absolute number ones and kind of overriding factor should always be, well, just consistently run and you will get better and you'll just kind of improve that way and when we're talking about recovery as this person is in the saying their coach is saying that they recover better if they eat straight after as long as you're getting in the required protein for the day as long as you're getting in the required calories for the day you will recover perfectly fine there is no need to kind of go racing to your bag and get a protein shake or race home and make sure you prepare a good meal post run post exercise post gym or whatever that might be so don't stress about it. If you have it handy and it's there, great. Yeah, sure, get it in. There will be a minor, 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 minor benefit. You probably won't realize or kind of feel that benefit, but you might psychologically just feel better. And I think um, psychology of kind of recovery and how you feel and whatnot absolutely has a play on how you actually feel. And so... I said, if it's not going, you don't have to go out of your way and it's not causing you too much angst in that, oh my God, I've got 10 minutes to get something in now. So if you can get it in, then great. If you're not, do not stress because you're not having a detrimental effect uh, on you or your recovery. Number six, uh, what is my average daily intake? I get asked this all the time. Currently, I don't actually, I don't track and weigh my food because when I first kind of started doing all of this and learning much more about this kind of five, six years ago, uh, I weighed and tracked everything, 
every day for about two years straight. And so I have a very good understanding personally of where my calories need to be, whether I'm on maintenance, whether I'm trying to lose weight, and whether I'm trying to gain weight. My protein has certainly dropped over the years as I've learned more and more on kind of my need for protein. So I probably would have been having anywhere from kind of 160 to 190 grams of protein every day five or six years ago because my thought process was that's how much I needed. I now know personally from, as I said, tracking everything religiously and seeing how it affected my my training and how I recovered and everything like that, I would probably have somewhere in the vicinity of 110 to 130 grams of protein a day. And when I'm in a maintenance phase, as I said, this is a guesstimate, but because my weight doesn't move when I'm in a maintenance phase, I know I'm around about there. That's usually for me around about 2,000 to 2,100 calories um, with my current activity levels. Obviously, if I'm doing less work, uh, less any, uh, sorry, workouts and runs and things like that, then that will shift slightly down, but it doesn't shift too much. If I'm trying to lose weight, which I'm in a fat loss phase at the moment, if you haven't seen my YouTube video that I put up a couple of weeks ago, I got fat. Um, I kind of made a commitment to the audience and to you and on a video that I was gonna lose five kilos in 10 weeks because uh, ever since my gallbladder um, surgery that I had in November last year, uh, I just got I got a little bit lazy. No, I got very lazy. Uh, I then used kind of Christmas as an excuse. I then used Easter as an excuse to why I wasn't you know really being dialed in with my nutrition and why I wasn't exercising much. And I genuinely put on weight. Like I always for the last probably 10 years or so sat around that's 68 to 69 kilos. When I'm prepping for a run, I'm normally 67 kilos um, by kind of race day. And um, I've just kind of got slack and I got up to 72, 73 kilos. And that was actually probably more so, um, even more fat gain than what was actually showing on the scale because I was doing far less training in the gym, meaning that I had lost muscle and obviously I was losing weight by losing muscle. And so the 72 kilos, I was probably actually, if I'd had the same level of muscle, uh, muscle mass, I probably would have been like 75 kilos. And I got quite spongy, quite fat. Um, and that's for me. I understand that people are gonna sit there and go, oh, boo-hoo, 72 kilos. I wish I could be 72 kilos. But for me, I felt shit. I felt lethargic. I felt like I didn't want to exercise. I couldn't care less about my food. And I needed a big change and I needed a big catalyst. And so there was eight or nine weeks until my sorry, 10 weeks until my race. And so I said to myself, I need to be at 66 to 67 kilos for that race. So my commitment is to lose five kilos in the next 10 weeks. Um, I'm really on track with that at the moment. I think I weighed in uh, over the weekend at 69.5 kilos. So I'm currently down at, as I said, three kilos or so at the moment, a couple of kilos to go. And for me, uh, living in a fat loss phase in a slight calorie deficit, I'm probably around the kind of 1800 to 1850 calories per day. And there has been times in my life where I've looked to increase uh, my lean muscle mass and try and get bigger and get stronger. And if I can break this 100 minute barrier, I'm going to go into more of a surplus phase again. And that will be somewhere, depending on kind of where I am in that kind of surplus phase, because those surplus phases could be anywhere from kind of six to 12 months. But depending on where I am in that, I'll fluctuate between probably 2,500 um, up to sometimes 3,000 calories um, a day. And, uh, a lot of people go, oh God, I wish I could have 3,000 calories a day. That'd be so great. I actually find surpluses much more difficult than um, deficits. It's actually a lot easier to personally, and other people might disagree with here, but kind of consistently eating um, in a calorie deficit is so much easier to do than trying to force yourself to eat. 
Like, I know it sounds like a dream, but like, there's days where you might have binges and you go over 3,000 calories, but to kind of nail, and nail it in a good way, like a good ratio of protein, and kind of be putting on weight in a good way, not just piling on um, weight for the sake of piling on weight. But if you want to kind of be hitting 3,000 calories in a good way day after day after day after day, it is so much more of a grind than being in a calorie deficit is. And the other side of it is you don't see results anywhere near as quick and as a surplus as you do in um, in a fat loss phase. And so, you know, over the last four to five weeks, I've lost three kilos. When you're in a surplus, you'd be lucky to see a kilo of proper weight gain in actual lean muscle mass. You'd be happy to see a kilo per month, let alone, you know, a couple of kilos over a month. So it's, it's a really tough thing to actually kind of try and gain weight in a good way. Um, and so, yeah, it's very slow and painstaking. But um, but yeah, that's what my average daily intakes would be depending on what phase I'm at. Um, I didn't quite understand this question, but can you do home body exercises barefooted? Now, I'm gonna answer this two questions. One, uh, answer in two ways. One's gonna be a silly but stupid, and I hope you have a laugh at it type answer, and the other one's just gonna be a straightforward answer. Straightforward answer first, I see absolutely no reason why you can't exercise barefooted. Like. If you're in a gym and you're doing kind of big deadlifts or even really kind of starting with deadlifts or squats like that, I actually say that you should be doing them barefooted anyway because too many shoes, most shoes that people are kind of going to the gym these days in are not stable. They've kind of got those big, you know, the Nike Air Maxes and things like that. They've got these big fluffy kind of cushion soles on them, which are not good for being uh, doing kind of squats, deadlifts, hip thrusts, um, and kind of big things where you need to plant your feet hard. You should be having a flat-soled shoe like a, a Converse or uh, like a Chuck Taylor-type Converse or doing it barefooted. And so I absolutely have no qualms with you doing barefooted exercises, be that at home or be that in the gym. Um, my funny answer would be that if you're kind of referring to sex, Yes, you should absolutely be barefooted having sex. If you have sex with socks on, I think you're a strange human being. And I've always thought, and I've had a couple of um, women I've been with over my years, well before, obviously, I'm, I'm now a happily married man, that wore socks to bed and had socks on while they were having sex, and it was just freaky. It freaked me out, and I don't like it at all. So that's my silly answer to that question. But the more... Sensible answer is yes, you can exercise barefooted at home if you so wish. If you're doing heavy weight training in the gym with squats and deadlifts and things like that, I think you should be barefooted anyway with that. But at home, whether you are barefooted or not, you do what suits you. If you feel comfortable kind of doing your exercise at home barefooted, then do it. If you prefer to put shoes on, then put shoes on. I don't see any qualms either way. So yeah, take it as you please. And number eight, does hormones play a big part in weight for women over 65? Uh... Short answer, absolutely not. Uh, it's an excuse, and whether you agree with me on this again or not, it's up to you, but it's an excuse that people say, oh, well, I'm just getting older, so it's just, I'm putting on weight because I'm getting older. Absolutely not. My mother was 61, I think she was, when uh, when we started her weight loss journey. She was at 92 kilos. She's quite a tall woman, um, so she uh, certainly didn't carry that weight as much as like a a five foot five woman at that kind of weight would be, but she certainly needed to lose some weight. She was 92 kilos. We got her to lose 26 kilos and she was above the age of 60. And um, so it goes straight out the door. Now, that's uh, with regards to kind of using age as an excuse to why you can't lose weight and the hormones that change and obviously premenopausal, menopausal and postmenopausal. Um, with that said, and I'll put a big caveat on it, does your age 
and the hormone changes, and we're talking to um, women here again, and the hormone changes that you go through kind of pre and during and post menopause, absolutely those hormones are going to change your way or your ability to lose fat in a way that just makes it more difficult. Yes, it makes it more difficult, but so what? Like if you're a single mother that has three jobs and you've got five kids at home that you need to support, that's also something that makes it more difficult for you to do. But the fact in the fact is that's your reality. So you have to kind of make do with what your reality is at the moment. And so if your hormones uh, changing your body as you get older mean that you now no longer have the metabolic rate that you used to when you were younger, and now you have to eat less to see that um, same weight loss occur, then that's just what you have to do. It doesn't mean that the fundamentals of fat loss have changed in that you need to be eating in a calorie deficit to see fat loss. So regardless of what your hormones are doing, you have to eat in a calorie deficit. And if you do, you will lose fat regardless of what your hormones are doing. But if your reality means that you now have a lesser metabolic rate as you get older. Now, just to kind of talk on that, this idea that our metabolic rate massively slows down over time is absolutely false. Our basal metabolic rate, the absolute bare minimum of what our body needs each day just to survive if you just laid in bed and did absolutely nothing, it barely changes as we get older. It does slightly go down, but not to a massive degree. What does change though is our total daily energy expenditure, which is our basal metabolic rate plus our NEAT, so the amount that we just move about, plus our exercise, plus a thermogenic effect of food and all these kind of other things. That part of the equation certainly changes in that we tend to slow down and do less exercise and movement as we get older. And so if you can just move a little bit more each day, if you can exercise a little bit more each day and keep yourself active as you get older, then those kind of total energy um, requirements for the day aren't going to shift too much and that's just then kind of helping you in regards to the equation of calories in versus calories out yes stay in a deficit regardless of what your hormones are doing and you will lose fat so it will become more difficult as you got older because of what i've just discussed there but no the hormones don't actually play a role uh, the fundamentals are you still need to be in a calorie deficit so stick with that and you will continue to lose weight now, the last question here, guys, refers back to, as I said at the beginning of this uh, podcast today, to last week's podcast when I was chatting to Max, who was able to lose 25 kilos in his first 12 weeks. And the question was in relation to, do you think Max was able to lose 25 kilos so fast because he was so overweight to begin with? Now, your ability to lose 25 kilos in 12 weeks now, I've got to put a massive caveat on this because I don't want people thinking that you can just go and lose that kind of weight now. But if you were able to create the exact same deficit that Max has been able to create, you could see those kind of results as well. But, let me say it again, but his ability to create such a big deficit is so much more because, yes, he's more overweight. At 200 kilos, we kind of worked out that his uh, like maintenance, just to kind of maintain him at that weight, was around about three thousand and a little bit more, and a little bit in change, about three thousand calories a day. Now, currently, I have him on somewhere in the vicinity of kind of twelve to fifteen hundred calories. It goes up and down, and we're averaging out usually around that kind of fourteen hundred kind of calories a day. So he's able to be in a fifteen hundred calorie deficit 
per day, just on his food. And we've also got him walking a lot. We've got him going to the gym. And so his deficit's even more than that. But let's just stick with food as he's kind of where he's getting the deficit from. For most people, if you were to try and create a 1,500 calorie deficit, if you're at, let's say, 80 kilos and you could do with losing kind of 15 kilos uh, of fat and that's what your goal is at the moment, your kind of maintenance calories is probably somewhere around the vicinity of, let's call it 1,800, maybe it's 1,750 or somewhere around that kind of number. So we would try and usually create a kind of deficit of around three to 500 calories. So we'd probably ask you to be in a vicinity of 12 to kind of 1,300 calories per day. For you to create a 1,500 calorie deficit, it would mean that you're eating somewhere in the vicinity of kind of 250 to 300 calories a day, which is dangerously low it's going to be completely unsustainable. And the amount of food that you're going to get for that is not going to fill your nutrient needs, your vitamin needs, and your kind of protein needs as well. So with a 1,500-calorie diet for Max, though, we can get in all of the protein he needs. He's getting plenty of nutrient, plenty of vitamins. He's getting a range of uh, different foods. We're having a huge meal for him. We're basically having a one meal a day. As, as I said, if you've listened to that podcast, you will have heard of kind of what we went through. And so 1,500 calories to him is not um, a difficult thing to maintain at the moment. It might get down the track, but at the moment, he's finding he's more than satisfied. He's sleeping well. He's recovering from his exercise well. And these are all the markers that I use as a coach that I provide as a service for my coaching to clients that allow me to kind of manipulate the program as we go forward. Now, if Max came to me and he said, Adam, I'm, I'm really you know struggling in my um, strength programs, I'm not recovering well, I'm sleeping terribly, then we would add more calories into his diet because he's got the room to move. Like, I could have him at 2,300, 400 calories and he'd still be losing weight. He wouldn't be losing weight, obviously, as quick as he is now. But if he needed a time to just kind of back off a bit, have a little bit more kind of just mental kind of health space time to really kind of let him rejuvenate and feel good to kind of go back into um, the heavy deficit again, then we could certainly do that. We could still see progress moving forward. But that's the reason why we've seen such a a big reduction in his weight so quickly is because we've been able to create such a large deficit. And as I said, if you were able to create and sustain that same deficit, then you would see the exact same results, but it would be dangerous too because you'd be eating such a very, very low um, set of calories. But if you're coming from somewhere like Max and you're 150, 160 kilos, and I'm talking again mostly to females because most of my audience is females, but if you're a female kind of 150, 160 kilos, then you could potentially be seeing you know, similar kind of results to this if you are consistently staying in the kind of deficit that we've had max in. And the same for you guys. If you're kind of, you know, if you're in need of losing 70, 80, 90 kilos, then absolutely you can create these kinds of deficits and you can kind of see these results. And if you're in a place where that is the kind of level of weight loss that you're needing to do, then I absolutely say that you should be doing it. You should be in a in a big deficit. You should be losing as much weight as you can, as quick as you can. Don't worry about the lean muscle mass that's going to be coming off at the moment because at the moment, the thing that's going to kill you quickest is the fact that you're carrying that amount of weight. Who cares about the lean muscle mass for the moment? It is very important, absolutely. And that's why we include strength training in Max's uh, program at the moment, but we're not focused on his protein that he's getting in and kind of nutrients and things like that solely because at the moment, the best thing that's going to help him feel good, he's going to see the results, it's going to keep you know motivating him to keep doing more, is seeing that scale come down. And 
you know, as I said, if you've heard that podcast, you'll know Max has now got off all of his antidepressant medication. He's never felt better. He's really motivated. He has his down days, of course, but he's really motivated because he sees that scale continue to go down, pushes him to get back in the gym, keep moving forward, stay strict with his food. And so, yes, as I said, guys, He's been able to lose that because he's been so overweight um, to start with, and we've just been able to create such a massive deficit. That's been the nine questions today, guys. I really hope that's been informative for you. You found something of value from this, whether that's be uh, finding out my um, sexual preferences and people not wearing socks, or whether that's been uh, enjoying my talk on strength training uh, and helping get rid of this word toned. Please stop using it. It's not what you should use. It's not a word that is in any way, shape, or form um, a physiological term that we use in the industry. And if you have had a coach or you see a train or anything, pull them up on it. Say that, no, you shouldn't be using tone. You should be using lean, athletic, defined. Let's get rid of this word tone. Um, But again, guys, as I always say, if you found something of value from this particular podcast, screenshot it, share it with me, put it on your Instagram story. I'd love to hear from it. Again, if you're still listening to this, and you haven't paused, and you haven't gone and given me a review, you're breaking my heart, guys. Please go and give me a review. It really does help me out, and I want to share this podcast as many people as I can. But that all said, guys, I'm going to sign out. I hope you've had a fantastic day. Thank you for coming along on this particular podcast. I'm hoping to get a couple of guests on over the next couple of ones. Uh, I'm going to get a sleep expert on who who I heard speak at a conference the other day. As I said earlier on, I'm going to try and get Danny, one of my colleagues, on uh, to talk more uh, in more, much more detail, and we'll kind of ask him a lot more questions on strength training, training in specific to uh, females. But there'll also be something in there for you as well, guys, so we'll certainly uh, keep you uh, entertained and uh, informed as well. I'm trying to get Nat, and I can never pronounce her last name, but she's a specialist on uh, female health. So she'll talk about PCOS, Hashimoto's, uh, thyroid issues, things like that. So if that's of interest to you, that's coming up soon as well. And I'm desperately trying to get Alan Aragon onto the show as well. He's just a very busy man. He has said he can come on, but I'm just trying to get him on, and he is the absolute my absolute kind of god of nutrition and uh, research. And you know, if I need a question answered, I go to his page because he certainly uh, has the answers for it. And um, I cannot wait to get him on. And I want him to talk in specific to why the keto movement is such a crock of garbage in regards to the insulin uh, hypotheses and insulin makes us uh, fat and carbs make us fat. And I want him to talk in specific to research that um, he has done or he has um, reviewed and things like that. So that I think will be a fantastic talk. Uh, and as I said, I've got a couple other people in mind. Max Lowry, um, I've been, I've interviewed him in the past on a different podcast I did, uh, but I want to talk to him much more about uh, fasting in general, because he has a book called The Two Meal Day, and he's very much on the, the fasting life. So a couple of guests coming up, guys. I'm really trying to do what I can to get them on. If there's any particular guests that you would like to hear me talk um, on, let me know, um, and I'll just reach out to them, and hopefully I can uh, convince them to come on the show. Obviously, I'm a pretty small show, and so I do what I can to try and get the guests on that I can, but if we can grow this and we can have more people on and we can really kind of start adding some value, then hopefully we can get some bigger and better names on as well and kind of not that the guests that I haven't had on already uh, haven't been fantastic and I've loved all their time. It's been fantastic, um, but I just want to have more people on. I like talking to people and learning myself, but then bringing that to you guys uh, in this podcast. So again, guys, I really hope you have enjoyed this podcast today. Thanks for sticking around. We're almost on that hour mark again. So I hope I've made your journey to work or your run or whatever you're doing listening to this podcast more enjoyable and informative. But again, that's me. I'm signing out. I'm the no breakfast guy. 
Have a great day. I'll see you next week. Ciao.